Welcome to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in this space. Hey, Paul, how are you? I'm doing not so bad. How about yourself? Pretty good. Episode 270. We're getting closer and closer to the 300s. I didn't mention actually in a few shows ago that I actually was in Austin for a few days and caught up with Richard Desarigo when he was, uh, he came and met up with me in a restaurant. And you didn't shove a microphone in front of him and find out what he's doing? (laughs) (laughs) We were definitely distanced over a giant table, but uh, yeah, no, it was good to catch up with him. Obviously he was the host on the show when we first kicked this off and took over the reins when it was him and Coatsy. And uh, it was good to catch up. It's been so long. This pandemic has definitely made it hard to, well, I can't remember the last time we bumped into each other. It's probably some Margaritaville, maybe. Yeah, I, I don't know. Well, my last trip before pandemic was a dev kitchen. Oh, yeah, it would have been then. So yeah, I probably true. saw you then. Off the top of my head, I couldn't tell you what the topic of the dev kitchen was because <laughs> it's been that long. But oh. yeah. And it was on the NDA, so we probably shouldn't talk about it anyway. Well, there hasn't been a dev kitchen in so long. But whatever we talked about probably is released. It probably doesn't matter. <laughs> it's really public. <laughs> but what, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, what news did you find this week? So, so it seems like I'm going to, I'm going to pretend that, you know, the blogosphere, the internet was listening to us last week. Yeah. <laughs> because I found a bunch of, or a handful of, of links that are kind of related. Um, the first two are actually, I kind of cheat because, uh, Nick Charlebaugh was on, well, this would have been, uh, two episodes ago talking about, uh, Microsoft Graph Data Connect. And I had a bunch of questions about, Azure Synapse or whatever. Well, lo and behold, a couple of different blogs landed uh, from him on the uh, the new to graph dev blog site that he's posting. The first one is about deploying Azure Synapse Analytics, which is the 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 concept that he was talking about. We're using Azure with Graph Data Connect, and so he walks through, including screenshots about how to set up the Azure infrastructure that you need to process the graph data connect data. So thanks, Nick, for doing that. And the second one talks about combining multiple data sets inside the Azure Synapse Analytics, which this is where I think the power is going to come in because I may get a bunch of users or reference data. I can't remember. Nick had a name for it, the reference data. And I also want to get transactional data. I need to merge them together to do something interesting. So thanks to Nick for giving us a couple of uh, blog posts on this so that we can uh, get started. Yeah, and he's using the um, Enron data set in the demos here against the user data set with MGC, which is free. And the emails one, and um, it's pretty cool. And again, it's actually we're talking about this author in a little bit, but it's very Chris O'Briney in terms of how detailed the steps are there. That you know, if I had the time, which I don't yeah. know, yeah. I would follow these steps and just play with it myself because <laughs> Synapse is something I haven't really worked with, other than you know Nick showing me every time I meet with him for our team meetings. It's tough. It's a pretty impressive stuff. It's been exciting to see how. An M365 developer kind of evolves and steps into the Azure world a bit more. And this is definitely an area that, you know, if you're not already doing this, I guarantee you'll be doing it in the next few years as a developer in this this space. 
Yeah, I mean, I haven't run this past the boss yet, but I need to get this in front of some of our customers because we, we have a philosophy, you know, we're extending the platform, not building our own. And so I've got information about users like their ID and that's it. <laughs> and um, users want to or our, our customers want to see that our data with their yeah. information. And we've always told them, well, we'll give it to you. It's your, you store it, you handle it. It's your PII, you deal with it. And so this, right. this uh, solution about combining sources may be helpful. So it would generate a data set of our anonymized data and let the customer figure out how to link it up and show what they need. So I certainly need to, to get into to this. So thanks, Nick. The cool part is, has been listening to all the data scientists and the creative ways that they're thinking about how they're going to use all the data mashed up together. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll definitely do more of this on the podcast moving forward as well. And then uh, on our last episode with Christoph, uh, we were doing our intro and you dropped in at the end, oh, there's a progressive web apps documentation and you gave us a link to uh, the docs.microsoft for, for Microsoft Edge. Well, <laughs> this week I found uh, Justin Willis published uh, announcing the PWA Studio in VS Code Extension, which I'm guessing is the same thing. <laughs> However, one, one is boring Microsoft docs and <laughs> one is excitable developer sharing what he's worked on. So thanks, Justin. It, it is. And I didn't know where I could talk about it. Nicola shared with me a bunch of stuff. And when we were recording last week, I didn't know whether it was public or not. So I do want to talk about it. So I'm glad you found it. Yeah. This. So um, the idea here, of course, is that you have well, uh, you have a web page and you want to make it a PWA, which basically means add a web worker and package it up. And so this will get you started using a VS Code extension to do all the stuff, including a big button. I have a service worker or generate a service worker, so <laughs> which I know which one I'd be doing. <laughs> Create for me, please. <laughs> so uh, nice to see. And again, another ton of uh, screenshots on this using dark mode, sadly, but uh, <laughs> that gets you started creating a PWA. And then I will say, just looking at the community today, it is great to see these two folks that we're calling out. Um, you know, I go back to the beginning of my international career of traveling for conferences and I can still picture meeting to Tobias Zimmergroom for the first time in his, you know, his shop suit uh, at a bar in, uh, in in Vegas and chatting to him about SharePoint and, and being a bit surreal being able to actually meet him in person. And then like that same evening, bump into Chris O'Brien. And then funnily enough, this morning I've met both with Wichter, Willen and Wardek Mastercars who were, you know, also people that were around those traps like you were back then. I guess uh, Tobias has been doing a lot more Azure stuff and He's talked about Azure load testing services here. Have you have you dabbled with any of this stuff? Not recently, because part of that I know there's some restrictions about you know pen testing or load testing stuff on on Office 365. But obviously, my code is running in an Azure service, and it's it's on the to do list. But now that it's a point and click, right? Because I've done this before when you had a Visual Studio yeah, project you that like, you could do record right. record it and run it. Yeah, and I can remember deploying. I don't know. I, I remember deploying a PC on every floor of the office building that the company I worked at had because some of them would complain about performance and some wouldn't. We kept saying it's not the server. So, but uh, so yeah, this is kind of modernizing it. So, but yeah, love to see love to see uh, Tobias sharing how he's worked with this load test service yeah and it, i think it is all in preview but it is a, seems to be an evolution of what the visual studio stuff was um in the way it's framed so yeah i'm interested to see where that goes please don't try and low test the microsoft graph service we do a good job of that ourselves we have in the past <laughs> seen people do it 
Well, what you're really testing is the, yeah. your handling of throttling when you do that. <laughs> we, had a, we had an app that had like 96% of its billion calls were 429 responses because they just they weren't backing off at all and just kept on going, um, which obviously costs us too <laughs> to respond to them all. But um, yeah, it was fascinating to see that. You know, I haven't even thought about that since I pulled out our raw HTTP calls and put the SDK yeah, in. Right. So thanks to SDK team for taking care of that for us. And then Chris O'Brien's uh, Syntex. Have you done anything with Syntex yet? Because that's another tech that is... Nope. nope. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> oh, gosh. Two, I haven't had time, you know, but... Uh, I mean, this is stuff... I used to do back in the day in like 2004, 2005. I can't even think what the product was called back then, but we used to have to kind of, I mean, we didn't call it training back then. You used to click and drag and say, look in this area for an invoice number and look in this area for a, um, a date and this is the total. And, and, you know, but now it's a lot more sophisticated in terms of what you can do and how you can train it and building Power Automate flows to um, handle all the different properties and business presses on top. And, you know, as usual, Chris has got some really cool uh, things in here. And I, one thing I really, really liked is he's extended Microsoft lists. And I don't know what they call that anymore, where you have a column that renders in a special way. Yeah, we, I call it column formatting, but there's probably a fancy term for that, right? Yeah, then maybe there's, I know we try and change it every three years whenever we come out with a new <laughs> platform, but I would have said column formatting too. Um, and so it's when they've dragged and dropped the documents into the document library, one of the columns in the document library is data that has been retrieved from syntax and rendered on the screen in the visual way, um, which I think is really, really cool. Um, and so if you're in, if you're doing anything around document processing and OCR and scanning, definitely take a look at Chris's, um, Chris's doc there on the, the syntax stuff. Yeah, I, every company I worked at before an ISV would have loved this stuff. It's just, you know, that I don't necessarily have to deal with that kind of bit in, in the current gig. So, but obviously it comes up with our customers and we point them toward the stuff and, and, uh, and th those who, those who need it really need it bad. So it's, uh, it, it, as usual, Chris is the guy that we're pointing to. And what I like about the one we're linking to this week is real world tips. Cause that's, that's what I think is, mm -hmm. you know, everyone can go read the docs and try to figure stuff out, but sometimes you need to get yeah, a, someone's exactly. So the awesome stuff there. Well, you know, Chris is probably doing this at some large customer. And so he's, he's twisting and bending this thing as far as it can probably potentially go. And that's the value exactly. of, of these blog posts. <laughs> exactly. Yes. So thanks, Chris, for yet another great tip. Cool. And then. Uh, so this week you did an interview without me. It was a busy week. So uh, you found, who'd you find and what'd you talk about? Um, so Juan came back on the show and uh, I love talking to Juan. He's been in office development for so long and uh, we had a really good chat about everything new. So I hope you enjoy the show. And um, we, we are back with a vengeance in February of 2022 after a slow start to 2022. <laughs> but um, if you're interested in coming on the show, please reach out to us um, on Twitters. And also, we can see you all listening. We would love, 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 love for you to go on to iTunes um, or any wherever you're listening to the podcast and provide a little rating and review because it really helps with the exposure of this podcast to other listeners. 
please keep listening. We'd appreciate your feedback and enjoy the interview with Juan. Welcome back to the show, Juan. It's been a hot minute since we've had you back. Hey, Jeremy. It's always great to be here with you, man. How you been? Pretty good. I'm, I'm hoping, and I'm sure some of the listeners are wondering whether when you listen to the podcast, when you're on a bike, uh, yes. do you get all excited when I, when I name drop you and <laughs> hope that maybe you might skid or something yeah. on your bike as you're listening? Sometimes I'm, I'm about to crash when I, when I listen to that, but... <laughs> It's funny that now I'm trying to go, you know, I'm in, I'm in the high, hybrid mode. So sometimes I, I'm going to the campus and uh, and that means listening more to your podcast, you know? <laughs> yeah, I must admit, I've missed the commute. I mean, I drive my daughter to school, but it's not quite far enough to listen to a whole episode of anything. Right, is it? And so it takes me almost a week to listen to an episode of something, which is not the same as when I was commuting the campus. It's like commuting is kind of the right place to, to listen to Papa, at least in my case, you know? Yeah, I know people like listen when they're cooking and things, but yeah, again, I'm a master chef. It only takes me four <laughs> minutes to make a dinner, so yeah. <laughs> I don't have time for a 30-minute podcast for yeah. that either. <laughs> I'm definitely a multitasker. I can't be doing emails and lis- listening to a podcast. No, no, no. Doesn't That's happen. It. I'm, I'm telling you, it's like commuting is a great chance to do it. But anyways, man, I try to not miss it. And it's, uh, it's a lot of fun, your podcast. So it's great to be back. I appreciate it. It's awesome. So for those that don't know what you do, you've been at Microsoft how long? I've been at Microsoft for 21 years. So yeah. Oh my gosh. Blackjack. You got some big crystals in there. Yeah, you, can, yeah, you have the, the crystals. And uh, yeah, uh, you know, I started my career at Microsoft in uh, consulting. So I was in Microsoft consulting. And then after five years doing consulting stuff, I moved to, I always have, you know, the this kind of curiosity of how the uh, product groups were and the engineering teams at Microsoft. So I ended up here loving it. And since 2005, I'm here in Redmond. Uh, mostly in the office team, no, all this time. And uh, in fact, I, I was part of the team who founded the new extensibility model for Allianz. You know, uh, when we used to ship Office every three years and in in a single platform, it was the the way to go was BSTO, uh, creating add-ins. You know, with com add-ins that only work on the Windows platform. But as Office evolved to you know to 365, we we needed a platform for to target all the, the other platforms. So my team actually started uh, that effort uh, back in 2013. So it's been a long journey during that time. I have been working on Word, Excel, PowerPoint, extensibility. And, and the last couple of years, I've been working in Outlook, which, by the way, it's a lot of fun. And, uh, and it's, uh, I don't know, it's very different, no? And I mean, you were the PM that shipped the gazillion APIs on Office JS for Excel, right? Yes. I remember being in marketing when you did that and like how are we gonna do a blog post announcing all these things this is like obnoxious how much you've shipped in one go that's incredible yeah because basically what we needed to do i mean building excel uh, add-ins for excel is uh i think it's it's way more complicated than, than building an add-in for outlook in the sense that you need a lot, a lot of richness in the right. api and you need you know, yeah, the scenarios i mean people run their whole businesses in excel right so the scenario is a lot broader than maybe what you'd expect in outlook Yes, and they're very complicated, and in Outlook, the scenarios are, are, are a bit more simple, no? But just to give you an idea, the COM API for Excel, 
has around 4,000 APIs. So we need to basically translate all those APIs into the JavaScript model. And we have to do it four times because it was one for Windows and then for the other platforms as well. No? It was a, an enormous challenge. But now, now the, the, Excel API, the Excel API is, sorry, the JavaScript API has around 3,000 members. So it's, it's super rich right now. So it's like you, you almost do, you can do anything that you were able to do with BSTO. And Outlook's your final tour, right? Like you started in, you did, when I first met you, you were doing Word first? It just worked, yeah. And then you did PowerPoint, and then you did Excel, and now you're on Outlook. Like you've just basically smashed the office suite of <laughs> accessibility. Yes, yeah, I have been influenced, yeah. And you know, there are there are there are things in the platform that are kind of uh, the same for for everybody. You know, like for for example, our deployment models and all that. You know, it's the same. Uh, I have also been participating in all those those features, like centralized deployment. And, yeah, man, it's been a long journey now. Now that I think about it. In retrospective, uh, but you know, working with customers for me is it's it's what what makes it you know special because every, everyone is different, no? And you see you see totally different. I mean, it's incredible to see how people actually uh, extensibility to to our products in, in Outlook, for example. You know, it's like all these different types of scenarios: communication, security, online meetings. Online signatures, uh, you know, item transformation, interaction with cloud providers, you know, to store files and stuff. So it's it's very different. Every time it's a different problem. Every day is a different problem, a different customer that we are trying to help. So it's it's super exciting. And I will say, since we've last had you on, um, congratulations on your promo, man. It's very well deserved. Oh, thank you. When yeah. I saw that announcement, I was like, oh, that's so good because um, <laughs> you know, you've, well, with all the work you've done, it's just been amazing. So congrats. Thank you. Thank you very much, Jeremy. And so, you know, how'd you get your promo? What did you ship? Because you've been real busy with Outlook. And I mean, I use a fair amount, but like, what are the, if you could summarize what we're going to talk about in the show, like, what are the big features that have made this more compelling for Outlook developers? I think one of the, one of the reasons why we, uh, in the last two years, you know, we, we, we've been growing the Outlook ecosystem Two times, so so we doubled uh, two years ago. We doubled, and last year we also doubled the number of monthly active users. And our goal this year is to double it again. We are right on track for that, and we're shipping many features. To, I mean, we we actually have very strong relationships with the ISVs that are producing super successful add-ins. Mostly, I mean, a good chunk of them are in the security space. You know, the, now that spam, you know, spam is a huge issue. Actually, in the privacy trainings that we take at Microsoft, there is this way of dealing with spam email. And, and the way to do it in Outlook is by using an add-in that is a first-party add-in. But there are a ton of offers like this out there, you know, in our marketplace. And, uh, and those add-ins are super successful. Their companies are super concerned about this problem. And, and they have add-ins not only to identify uh, spam email, but also to educate folks on how to to detect uh, these types of emails. So they send like, right. yeah. I mean, they're getting really creative, huh? Like, I mean, one nearly tricked me the other day. <laughs> yes. Um, and it was only when I hovered over the link, I was like, oh, that's not, wow, that was so close to getting me. Some of the obviously very yeah, some sort of almost obvious, not creative and pretty obvious. They're trying to, but but there are some yeah. that yes, I, I agree <laughs> with you. There are some that are 
you know, these companies also send simulations of these types of emails to to users, and they they gamify the thing. And now you you were able to detect, you know, these emails that were uh, dangerous. No, uh, that is kind of a, uh, the one of category of, of of scenarios that are that have been extremely successful in the marketplace. But we also have others, you no, know, like. Uh, online meeting providers, so all the Zoom, Cisco, WebEx, all these providers have an Outlook add-in uh, that, you know, it's orders of magnitude, they bring all this easiness to use, you know, uh, right there in Outlook and uh, all super successful uh, CRM types of scenarios, you know, the Dynamics add-in, the Salesforce add-in, the Oracle CRM. So they, they, they are used daily, exactly. Yeah. yeah, I use that daily. Yeah, and and I've I have found in the time since we deployed CRM for my team when it founded two years ago, um, that plugin's got significantly easier. It, even silly things like I don't have to sign in anymore. Ah, uh, the single sign-on. It's just seamless. Whereas when I we first when I first started using that add-in, it was a pain because it would always every now and again prompt me for my auth details. Whereas now it just seems to do it, which is great. So yeah, your the SSO scenario has got a lot better with. Um, Outlook, which is great. Yeah, SSO. Well, it's having not to authenticate. It's like that's always like a adoption blocker, no? Yeah, I need to provide mm-hmm. my credentials, but if you just sign in with the other credentials you are using in Office, it's like boom, so you're using the add-in immediately, right? So, and so what what scenarios have you unlocked? Do you want to start off like you know your usual tour of what's new to get people excited based on what we've just shared the scenarios and yeah, absolutely improvements up to now I, we've been talking for uh, for the last couple of ignites and and builds around you know this problem that we have with outlook add-ins that in order to use the add-in and this is different of what vsto used to be the add-in needs to be active so basically you need to, to click a button in the ribbon so that you know, the tasping shows up with the web app, and then at that point, the user right. is able to interact with it, right? But if you close, or you could only pin one add in, you couldn't pin multiple, you can pin it as well. Yeah. But, it, but, but if you close them, uh, basically, the, the add in is dead, right? So, you know, that you cannot interact with them anymore. So, we are, we are actually shipping uh, a new technology that it's called event based add ins. And the goal here, Jeremy, is that you know, these add ins are kind of running in the background. But we want to do it in an efficient way. Every time certain events in Outlook happen, you know, the developer is able to subscribe to those events and perform some inter- interesting actions there. The scenarios that we are supporting right now uh, are on Compose. So every time a user is composing a new email or it's replying, forwarding, uh, you get an event, and 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 then one one scenario that that we are releasing that many ISBs on the signature online s- signature uh, business. Every time you create a, a new email, they add the signature. The signature happens to be a great way of of doing business, no? And and so we have a ton of of big and small ISBs doing signature solutions for Outlook, and in this case, the uh, on Compose event was needed, so we shipped that. That was the first first uh, the first release was the basically the infrastructure to to run these events and we shipped the uncompose event and then recently at ignite uh, just uh, november, last november we announced like the second release of that technology with a bunch of new events we added an event for recipients so every time you add or remove recipients you get an event uh, when you add uh, attachments 
And when you change a meeting, no, you change the date or the recurrence of a meeting, we provide you we provide you with an event. Well, that's really cool. So this stops you rage emailing. It could be like, stop, you know, did you really want to click send right now? Can you block an action? Is that part of the event aspect or not? Absolutely. That is another again, technology that we call smart alerts. Uh, hmm. That is an event that you get when the user sends an email. And by the way, for, for those Outlook developers are, are out there, we actually released a similar feature uh, a few years ago that was called the item send event. Mm. But it, it had the, the downside that if the admin was not available, you know, the, 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 the user could not send emails anymore. So it was a very aggressive block. <laughs> uh, can, you, can you imagine the admin is kind of Azure is down or whatever, and you cannot send emails in Outlook. And let me tell you, that, that was by design. In some scenarios, having the admin running is so critical. When I'm talking about classification systems, all that, privacy stuff, legacy uh, compliance, that it's okay to not send an email if, if the admin is unavailable. Uh, so huge customers were asking for that. But this time around, we ship a new flavor of that event, and we call it, uh, internally, we call it soft block. And we call it like that because uh, there's no way that you, you, the user we stop the user from sending an email. Uh, so if the admin is not available, the user can actually send the email in any ways. No? And the other, the other benefit of this one is that they, they will be allowed in the store. The previous event, if you are using it, it's only for internal deployments or in-house developed add-ins. Uh, yeah, like a side-loaded one. Exactly. Yeah. But these ones, uh, are, we are going to allow them in the store as well. Have you seen the smart smart links feature in in Outlook? No, it's a very good example of this. Uh, basically, when when you when you insert an, an uh, link to a file in an email, have you, I'm pretty sure you have seen it. When you insert a, a link to a file in an email, you invite and you add many folks and you send it. Oh, and it adds the preview or something. No, no, no. It it checks to see if all the recipients actually have access to the file. Uh okay. Yeah, I do love that feature. Have you seen it? Yeah, it's very clever. So is that an add-in then in the, that's doing that? This, no, it's, it's a first-party feature, but, but okay. Smart Alerts was based on this, on this feature, actually. Uh, okay, so someone could build that if they wanted to as an add-in. Uh, yes, but you can do many other things, okay. not only checking the attachment is available. Yeah, yeah. And the beauty of these things, and what we discovered, the Outlook team discovered, was that actually our users are very uh, thankful uh, for us, you know, to to provide this kind of, of hints, no, that make you look better. Right, right. Yep, Many yep, times yep. you're talking about an attachment and you're not adding this attachment, send the email. And what is yeah. the first thing that you get back? Mm -hmm. Hey, you forgot to add the attachment. Yeah, like it's not attached. So yeah, this yeah, type yeah. of adding, I think it's going to be super useful for a ton of scenarios. Now that we are working and collaborating mm -hmm. in a hybrid world, it's going to be super relevant, you know, to, to help send better. And just to go back mm -hmm. to the event-based stuff, like uh, I remember talking to the fine meeting time folks that have the add-in. Mm -hmm. And obviously that that task pane would, if you change the two line, obviously it had to go add it, additional people to the poll to pick, you know, what was the appropriate yeah. time yes. for the meeting. But I believe they were polling on the API to check whether the two line had changed. Whereas now you're saying that because this is event-based, it pushes to the add-in that the two line has changed. So therefore the task pane can kind of react based on the event rather than kind of going, has it changed, has it changed, has it changed, has it changed? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, okay. 
So it's just it's not going to kill the client in terms of Perth in that way either. Yeah, I don't know, but we we actually ship a. a uh, recipient as a recipient change event when the other uh, taskpen is active, so yeah, okay. they can actually they can actually make that improvement already. What this event this technology will enable them to do is is to kind of be tracking those recipient changes in the background. Oh, that's right. And okay. then and then what you can do because you know what the, the, the problem with this add-in is the latency that it has. You know when when mm-hmm. you are setting up the meeting and you're getting the schedules from everybody, right? What you can do with event-based silence in this case is to be kind of pre-processing all these agendas in the background yeah. so that by the time you open the task and you have kind of all the information you need to quickly just render that. If the event triggers and the app's running in, the add-in is running in the background, can it open the task pane for you or is there some interaction the user has to do on an alert? How does that work? You cannot open a task pane. But what you can do, the way that people, uh, this is a very good question. The way that the interaction model is that we open a notification bar. The notification bar is this kind of tile that it's on top of an Outlook email that provides yeah. you actionable stuff. Yeah. And then and then from there, if you want, you can either execute a UI-less action or open a taskman if you need to. Because it'd be kind of neat if someone's got like a custom way of defining working hours for people in the org. And you've got a bunch mm-hmm. of people on the two line of an event and you pick a time and in the background you're adding goes off. Oh, Juan's not available because he sleeps in till 11 a.m. Yeah. Because, you know, because he got his promo and he can cruise. Siesta um, time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. And so technically you could do that and then have a status bar that would go, you know. Yeah. Juan's on his siesta. Don't schedule the meeting right now. That's exactly right. You could do that, that type of scenario. Okay. In fact, my, our GPM, Tristan, he actually created an, an add-in using this technology to, to put a note on his emails. No? If he sends an email after 5 p.m., he adds a very nice message at the end that says, mm. hey, uh, you don't have to answer this message right now. I'm just uh, working off time. Off, off, yeah, you know, I'm cool. working late because of whatever. I do love that. I mean, I actually miss working with Tristan because, you know, back when I was in PM days, we used to work with him a lot, but credit to him as a GPM still doing that. Like I know Rob used to do that too. And I think that shows a true, you know, leader in this space that is still at that level in the weeds, building on the products that he's shipping. So, yeah. He's a very technical guy. Yeah. And, and he actually found bugs and, and it was awesome. He was dog fooding our stuff. Yeah, and he really was cool. one of the first ones. Yeah, it was awesome. Tristan, if you're listening, thank you, man. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Thank, thanks for giving him a promo, Tristan. Um, <laughs> so what else can you do with smart alerts? Is there is that the main thing is kind of catching those things and prompting the user? You could actually, uh, well, you can actually block the send of the email. So the, the idea is- Oh, you can. You get the event, yes. You, you get the, you can use at that point, the JavaScript API to interact with the item. Yeah, and then if certain conditions are not met, you can actually stop the send of the email, and then the feature works in two modes. You can actually do a suggestion. Yeah. So things like uh, uh, I remember in Pfizer there was this implementation of hey, in all the meetings that you send, there, there needs to be an agenda in all the calendar items. Ah, oh, that's cool. So this item, for example, if you if you are trying to send a calendar a meeting invite without an agenda, the admin is recommending you hey. Maybe you should add an agenda, but you don't have to. You can send it anyway. Yeah, right, right, right. That's really cool. Yeah, 
so that's one mode of operation. And the second one is you actually don't give that option. You have to go back and fix the email before you send it. I would love one that said, hey, uh, you've got 3,000 people on your two line <laughs> and you probably only need two. <laughs> yes. And and respect the CC line would probably be a lovely little add-in we could build internally. Man, that's just totally doable, Jeremy. That's totally- or did you know... You have someone four levels up in your org chart on this email. Do you really want them on there? That'd be another great little add-in that I think a few people would learn from. But in that, if that, like, what, what would you choose there to do a hard block or just a recommendation? Well, probably a recommendation, I think, to start. Or Jeremy, you shouldn't be using curse words in your emails. We're not going to let you send this. That's a hard well, block. Exactly. One of my devs actually created an ad that was detecting <laughs> the humor or, or lack of in your messages. Yeah, like passive aggressive tone and it was like, or something. Uh, exactly. It was like, yeah. uh, maybe you shouldn't send this email. You know? <laughs> <laughs> this could be a career limiting move, clicking send. <laughs> yes. Improve your interpersonal skills and then send the email, please. Mm-hmm. Type of thing. Oh, it's fun. I mean, it's, I mean the scenarios here are a bit really countless, you know? Yes, yeah, huge. It's really cool. And so it sounds like that's on the, you know, again, going back to the foundational aspects of this, uh, an, a mail window resource type, I don't know what you call them, and the calendar event resource window as well. Are they the two main ones? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess they are these days, right? Yeah. And then the, the other thing you touched on um, near the beginning was uh, the extensibility for uh, online meeting yeah. third-party providers. What, what, what have you done in this space? Because that's pretty exciting, I think. In the con- Yes. In the context of one of our most popular add-ins, again, are the only meeting, online meeting providers. Yeah. So so believe it or not, there are folks out, out there that don't use Teams uh, and they use other alternatives, but they use Outlook, you know, and they and they, they need to schedule appointments in those online meeting providers. So, and then, you know, as a result of the pandemic in Outlook, we launched the feature that makes all your meetings by default online. That's right. Yeah. So it's all be Teams. Exactly. Yeah. So it's basically all your meetings have Teams meetings, which makes sense because we are all working, fortunate to be working from home. But for those folks who don't have Teams, but they do have an online meeting provider add-in, you know, Cisco, WebEx, Zoom, etc. We're going to launch uh, very soon a capability of doing exactly the same, but with this third-party provider. No? Oh, that's great. Uh, yes. And as a result of that, you know, you will be able to configure Outlook to, if you have multiple providers, you can, teams, you can actually choose between them and choose which one is going to be your default. So we are, we are also, yeah. I'm glad we're doing that. I know, you know, there's probably a lot of push for teams, 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 as we see internally, but I think giving our user base the option and allowing the other ecosystem partners to still flourish and continue to use Outlook, it's a good thing too. Because there are a lot of companies that use multiple cloud platforms. Um, I did notice, um, I think we talked about this offline, it was uh, Deep, who was in the SharePoint space that's been on the show. Yes. Um, he just left Microsoft Tracks. to another firm and they're not a Microsoft shop and he was um, giving his opinion on-, on Twitter. The other call uh, providers and how grateful he was for Microsoft Teams, which I guess we've been using this for so long. And I, you know, sometimes I still complain about Teams, but sounds like the grass is a little bit greener is not always the case yeah. with some of these things too. But I'm still glad that we do that. I think it's good that we're being open on the ecosystem. That's good. Because I saw that and I need to follow up with him, you know, because it's something like he didn't like much experience, but, but yeah, yeah I, I think, think he was saying about 
outlook and just like getting as like I think it may have been Zoom meeting yeah. into the calendar invite, whereas it sounds like what you're doing, it will make that a lot easier. Right. Yeah, that's going to make it. Yeah, he, he basically has to do nothing. No? And by the way, in mobile, we also did some really nice investments providing native look and feel of joining meeting meetings as well, third, third parties. No? Well, that's cool. Just like a checkbox, like, hey, this is a third, third party provider yeah. meeting. And then the join, it's exactly the same as for now. Just click on join and we launch the the app and you're in, you know, so it's super simple. Well, actually, if you go back to the other features you launched, I imagine from mobile scenario, add-ins being able to run in the background are actually pretty advantageous because task panes and so forth take up real estate mm-hmm. in, in the mobile app that you just don't have the luxury of where you do on the desktop. So... Do, do you support those event-based add-ins on like iOS Outlook as well, or yeah. is it? Thank you for asking that. It's not yet supported yeah. in, in iOS or Android. Uh, yeah. it, it will be though, especially the on Compose events. We, we're all the par- all the partners that are, have adopted this technology. The first thing they ask is, "Hey, oh my we also want to provide online signatures in the mobile. And actually, yeah. in the mobile is super relevant, right? Yeah, that's right. So that that's on the backlog. We're we're working on it. Good. So we're going to have all the events uh, and we are adding other features also in mobile, like super scenario. We're very focused on delivering uh, on specific scenarios. So we're also going to launch a feature for CRM providers so that you can quickly log opportunities yeah, from the cool. phone into the CRM system, just like in a semi-native way. Yeah, yeah. that's really neat. Yeah, I do like the iterative approach to you shipping. Like I think back in the day, Microsoft's approach would be, we will not ship until it's on everything. Whereas I think the approach we took with add-ins from start has always been like, I remember the slides, we had the matrix, remember of like where things are lighting up on what clients. And now it's good that we keep doing that with these things. Um, and then talking about that journey, one other thing that always comes up and has come up for a long time is the exchange rest APIs and usage yeah. with add-ins versus, you know, the graph, which is, you know, I always care yeah. about. So where are we at with that? And how does that tie into like SSO and things? Because I know in the past, our story there has been a little bit weak. And I know it's definitely hurt some of their ISVs in the past. Man, thank you very much for uh, for asking this question, because actually I'm going to talk about, about it more details in our community call. But... As many people know, on November 17, I think in November 17, we're going to actually decommission the REST uh, API v2 for Outlook, right? Uh, we're deprecating that, and, and a ton of add-ins are, are using that uh, today. So uh, so the first thing that I, I, I am actually um, in defense of our community is that I don't want to break any add-ins. You know, I... I so I have two, two, two news here to share with everybody. So number one is, mate, I think you're going to be happy with this. I think we should move everybody to the graph. You know, we, the, I think the capabilities of the Outlook REST endpoint, it's my understanding that are fully doable in the graph. So, so, so there's no reason why people shouldn't be moving, no? So that's number one. And then number two, for, uh, for folks, I, I think what, what, what we want to do is that all the add-ins, we're, we're able to identify today what add-ins are using the REST uh, API endpoints. And basically, what we're going we're gonna to extend exceptions for those add-ins. So if your add-in is using uh, the REST API before the November 17 date, 
you could still use the REST API until we until 20 Office 2019 goes out of support. Uh, you know, but I mean that is more than enough time for everybody to be kind of uh, moving to the graph. Um, so that is kind of the the, the main the, the gist of what we want to do. Uh, and of course, in order to to use the graph effectively, we, we require a, a good SSO story. You know, so now with SSO in add-ins, uh, you could you could get a graph compatible token uh, that you can use to to call the graph. No, so through the SSO route, because the problem with EWS and REST in the JavaScript API for Outlook is that it's super simple to use. I mean, you call an API. You get back a token with, you know, an EWS or a REST compatible token, and you just go crazy. You know? Well, not crazy. You can do all the operations that you are allowed to do. You no, know? with the graph it's a little bit more complicated, but basically the way the way it works today, and and and, and you know, it's like you use the single sign-on technology, and you can actually get graph compatible token, and then start making graph calls with it. Yeah, I think for a corporate organization, and we're seeing this a lot from a security and trust angle, is that AWS and Outlet REST was, well, Outlet REST not so much, but AWS for sure was all or nothing. Like if you called AWS, you could do whatever the user could do in exchange. Whereas with using the graph, um, it is still based on a consent approach too. So you know, if if you only want it to do mail read or calendar read, that's all the adding is going to be able to do back to the graph. Um, and so I think that's really important, you know, for people to understand why we're moving down this path of the graph. And there's so many times we talk to customers where like, well, we don't want them to have this broad access to the entire mailbox when all they need to do is look at the subject line of all the emails to make some kind of decision to show up in any add-in. And so those types of things existing as consent models like mail, read, basic, and so forth gives you as a developer more chance for customer being willing to deploy your add-in into their tenant, knowing that it's got some kind of control over um, you know, what's going on. And there's a lot of discussion internally around more and more constrained scopes yeah. so that customers feel even more comfortable. We're not there yet with some of those, but... We're definitely getting better in terms of having those discussions with new workloads coming on board of yep. not just doing read all and read, but really thinking about like what other partner scenarios have we got where they may only want certain parts of the entity and let's ship those permission strings in that way to allow partners to kind of not have some of the, you know, the friction yeah. they do in getting these things into customers' hands. No, well, the value is super clear, mate. And uh and you know what? Our customers are actually getting that message. Yeah. In fact, what I want to share with you is that I have I have the chance to, to to interact with a lot of super important ISVs. I will not mention names, but their customers are asking them to hey like move off of AWS. You and should stuff. move your you should move your Radin. Yeah. I see that your Radin is making some rest cottage. Can you please move them to the yeah. graph? I mean, they 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 are asked they they've been asked for for that. And the less we can do as a team, you know, is to Kind of facilitate that path, no, and and uh, getting the token. I think it's going to be a bit complicated. I wish we could ship something that they can use more easily. So it's something that, that we need to think about. You know, how can we enable that and uh, and help them help them a bit more here? You know? Yeah, that's good news, ma'am. Well, look, I appreciate your time today. That's uh, there's some really cool updates. I'm actually excited to see with the add-ins that I use um, how much easier they get for me with all these new hooks and whistles so what i'm thinking you didn't answer was are these 
preview features or are these V1 minted features for things you've talked about? The event-based, everything that I talk about, event-based with the exception of smart alerts, everything is live now. In fact, uh, 1.11 was out, was GA uh, late in the year, in December last year. Smart alerts in public preview, folks. So go to our, the Outlook Islands documentation page. There's a walkthrough that in less than 10 minutes, you can have a smart alert up and running. You know, this is the soft block uh, on send events that we have. And then the every every meeting online for third-party providers, uh, it's also that something that is gonna is gonna it's gonna go live within the next three months. So that's really cool. Well, yeah. congrats on this stuff. I'm excited, and um, I'm sure if we get you back on the show, maybe we won't wait 18 months to get you back next time because it <laughs> seems like this was a, a lot to announce. But um, yeah, I'm excited to see yeah. what you guys do over there. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you very much, man, for the chance to to share this with your audience and and um, let's keep in touch. Cheers, buddy. Cheers. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at m365devpodcast and check out our show notes at www.m365devpodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. That's all, folks. 